Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan, and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of insights and tips for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. I've just had a very interesting chat with Stephen Worrell, the Managing Director of Microsoft Australia. He's a very inspiring man, and we had a wide-ranging discussion and discussed subjects including why he took on a leading role in setting up the Corporate Mental Health Alliance of Australia. This is a group of CEOs and senior leaders who want to build more mentally healthy workplaces, and the tag is business-led, expert-guided. He discusses some of the interesting ways Microsoft tried to reduce the isolation employees were experiencing because of the COVID lockdown. Steve also explains why he thinks that 93% of Microsoft employees agree that it is a great place to work. And this is against a average of 55% for all Australian employees. And he puts that down to a big focus on purpose in the organisation. He also discusses very frankly the personal difficulties he experienced supporting his father dying from cancer, caring for his mother with dementia, and taking on a new role at Microsoft. It sounded like it was a very stressful time. Perhaps that's why he really strives to practice mindfulness. And he talks about uh, a book which has had a big influence on him on this subject area. And uh, one of the really interesting things is how he breathes deeply before he starts a meeting. He also talks about his uh, discussions and meeting with Satya Nadella, who is Microsoft's global CEO. And I've been a real fan of Satya since I read his book called Hit Refresh. And he has guided uh, the global Microsoft to be the second most valuable company in the world. There's a wide range of uh, subjects here to enjoy from personal care, crew care, and also great performance. Enjoy. It's a real delight to welcome Steve Worrell to the Caring Sierra podcast. Great to have you with us, Steve. Thank you, Graham. Great to be with you. Steve, what does care in the workplace mean to you? Care in the workplace, I, for me, Graham, goes directly to a concept of, of empathy and, and leadership. And, and what I mean by that is that if you truly as a business leader, want to help your business achieve uh, the best that it can and you want to serve your customers and you want to play the role that the institution might play in the community around you, then it follows you want to create the very best environment that you can for your team, your employees, to, to play their important role. And I, th- I think over many years the, the single most important element for me that comes out of that then is the idea of empathy and connecting with each person to the extent possible so that uh, the team understand that there is both a consideration of their role in serving the organisation and the customers, but that the institution and the leaders in that company um, actually have an interest in the well-being uh, and the outcomes that are delivered for each employee. And so care is, is very much about the commercial construct, I think, and, and about 
the basics of any business because employees obviously play such a vital role in delivering the product or the service that that company might be in the business of providing. And in the last 18 months, we've had uh, really turmoil like never before. And I've observed with lots of other organisations that mental health has greatly increased in prominence and importance. Is that your observation as well? Without a doubt. Um, I, I think this topic, Graham, has been a, a big issue for, for a long time, well before the pandemic. And uh, many, many people in many workplaces have been, have been thinking about it because it's been such a strong and, and present issue across our communities. But without a doubt, the pandemic has put that on, um, on steroids, right? We've seen a massive acceleration in people engaging uh, digitally. And so there's the sense of um, exhaustion, digital exhaustion that comes up very often in, 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 in the environment where you are working in a digital construct. But, of course, across the community, we have so many people experiencing so many different stresses and, and strains at the moment, um, those in essential work, those working in hospitals, the teachers in schools, and the list goes on. Uh, and there's no question mental health and the impacts uh, that we see all around us are only increasing as a result of this, of this moment we find ourselves in. And how did you keep your finger on the pulse with your, you know, 2,000 odd employees? How, did you have regular pulses or surveys to really monitor that? We do. So there's a, a regular survey that, that we run, um, but, I, but I often find it's the, the anecdotal uh, conversations that are most important. And in fact, I think even more important now because the incidental conversations you might have in the hallway or when you get grabbing a cup of coffee or a cup of tea between a meeting or when, you, when you're simply walking to a meeting with members of your team, you have those, um, those conversations that uh, often fill in the day. And I think if you were, as a leader, and in fact, I, I would say this for anyone, give you a real pulse about how people are feeling. The absence of that now in the, in the reality of lockdown, I think, makes it even more important that we use those surveys and other ways in which we ask for direct feedback. Um, but also then, you know, we, we like a lot of organisations, have set up more regular contacts, uh, more discipline around one-on-ones, um, more frequent team meetings, uh, more meetings that aren't, aren't um, just business-related. We might just get together on a Friday afternoon for a social catch-up. Um, and so that's been very much part of our thought process because we are absolutely seeing an increase in stress and anxiety and, and, and the digital exhaustion that I mentioned earlier from the constant engagement with clients and partners over, um, you know, over Teams and over, over digital platforms. You were instrumental in um, the formation of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance and uh, for those that may not be aware of it, would you just explain briefly what it is and why you thought it was important to, to start? Well, look, it goes back several years, Graham. I think over many years in business I've um, have, have recognised or observed the importance, if you go back to your first question about care, if you, if you, and empathy, if you truly believe that caring for your team is part and parcel of what leadership is about, then it isn't too far a step to realise that well-being of your team is, is at the centre of that equation, and that's both physical and mental health. Mm. So many years ago, I, I think I came to this realisation, and perhaps also because of my own mental health, right? There are times in my career where I've I felt like I've flourished and where I felt like I've been at my best and then other times when I have not been. And as I've sort of examined those moments, you sort of think back what was what was happening to me in my life, what was happening to me in terms of the environment I was working within, what were the leaders doing in that organisation at the time that might have been contributing positively or negatively to my point of view. 
Um, and I know I'm not alone in making, you know, uh, all of those statements. And so several years ago, we um, came across the City Mental Health Alliance in the UK, which was set up following a series of suicides in the financial services and legal industries in the UK, in London. Um, and Poppy Jarman, the CEO, um, had set that up back in 2013. Uh, and, you know, I got talking to Poppy about uh, what she was doing and why, and I just felt that, you know, that sort of alliance would, would um, be really relevant and important in Australia. So um, getting together with a, a bunch of like-minded leaders across many different organisations, we figured, yes, let's form the alliance. Um, and um, then the pandemic hit. And, and I suppose we, while well, we realised it was a really important conversation for lots of, lots of reasons, uh, it's become even more important as a consequence of the pandemic and already what we've covered in this conversation. And so um, just getting started, of course, but we think there's uh, so much that we can achieve together. And I think that's the key of the alliance. It's this is a topic that impacts all of us, you know, any any organisation, large or small, government, private sector, uh, and we've all we've all got so much to learn from each other. And uh, that's what we hope the alliance can um, provide as a focal point for that learning to be shared. It reminds me a little bit in setup to the male champions of change, or I think it's just called champions of change now, which was about really championing more women in senior leadership. And, you know, it was CEOs that were involved. And I think that is a really critical element. Did you look at that model at all when you thought about how to launch it? Totally. And we're, we're involved in Champions of Change. Uh, Liz Broderick is a wonderful leader and over the last decade or longer has um, uh, helped to uh, build the Champions of Change into such a wonderful organisation with, with such impact, not only here in Australia, but all around the world. So, Definitely talk to Liz and 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 still do today in terms of learnings and what we can what we can lift and, and copy um, to make the alliance as impactful as possible. Uh, and you know, um, over time, we we hope we can um, make a material impact in the quality of uh, thinking and the role that leaders play in organisations large and small across the country because the, the alliance at its heart Graham, is not about it's not a membership organization in a in a in any traditional sense. Um, everything that we have, every learning that we have, every case study, um, events that we make available, it's all open source. And so what's really struck me is the generosity of all of the business leaders who are involved because we all want to come together to to help each other and help every organization create more psychologically safe workplaces in the future. Yeah. And how was it to try and bring a very disparate group of people uh, together and agree on, uh, you know, the plan, the measurement, the foundations? It, it must have been a little bit of a challenge, surely. Oh, very much so. I remember the early days I, I sent out emails to um, uh, most of the the um, leaders of the, of the ASX 100 and all were interested, I think, to be fair, many, you know, there are so many priorities going on. So in some cases, it just wasn't the right time to engage or, um, uh, you know, we quickly found those organisations who were at that point where they were ready to jump into something like this, knowing um, that, it, you know, there was no uh, alliance in place. So it wasn't like we had a track record. We were just simply coming together to have a conversation about how could we how can we raise the bar on, on the quality of psychological safety in our own organisations and then how could we help others? Uh, we also approached uh, a group of leaders um, in, in the space, the people who actually know uh, what um, um, who operate professionally in the mental health landscape, people like Lucy Brogdon, 
who've been so generous with their time because we also wanted to be expert guided but business led, acknowledging the important role that leaders play in creating the circumstances and the conditions for psychological safety at work. So, so yeah, difficult to get started, but I, I think, and difficult to agree to everything, Graham, to the other part of your question. But look, I think when, when you, your purpose is, is so clear, and it is so clear to each of us that we, we know um, from the early moments that there was so much that we could gain from talking to each other and learning from each other, when the purpose is clear, you know, then the rest of it becomes details in terms of, okay, if we can't agree on the specific survey that we might use collectively or if we can't agree exactly on what the right first topic should be for us to explore, um, we'll, we will compromise and work work that out as and, and as we have and the alliance continues to go from strength to strength. I've heard from a couple of trusted sources that you're a, a gifted chair, a, a gifted uh, team facilitator, and this has come from other people. So when you approach a meeting, and, and, and use that as an example, you've got a group of CEOs, what do you, how do you prepare for it and what do you think are the really important elements of being a good chair? Well, first of all, I think they, um, uh, they, they, they may have overstated my capabilities there, Greg. <laughs> nice to hear, but I'm not sure what it deserves. So, uh, look, I think uh, I try to be pragmatic. Um, I try not to take myself too seriously um, and I try to inject a, as a result a little sense of humor as we go because um, we're all we're all busy we've all got m- m- very many things to do and we all want to have the most impact that we can mm. um, and so I, I think I start from that that basic basic belief that you know respect the use of people's time is the most important commodity anyone ha- ever has be clear on what we're hoping to achieve, um, be open to feedback and make sure that we we are aligned. And as I said a moment ago, I think the establishment of the purpose, you know, mm. we, we want to help raise the bar. We want to share credible practice and raise the bar for all workplaces across the country and we want to be expert-guided and business-led. Pretty quickly, the business leaders, they, they all saw that, that that made sense and, and because they helped construct it. And once you've got that alignment, I think it brings people together quickly. And then we've rapidly fallen into position as a, as a group. And, you know, we're an alliance of a very eclectic mix of businesses across the country. Uh, and yet we, we have this uniformity of purpose, which I think then means we can, we can actually make progress and make progress quickly. So um, I think there's some of the principles that I, um, I, I, I use. And how do you make it psychologically safe, you know, that people can contribute ideas and be themselves? Do you just do that intuitively or do you have any hints uh, when you think about that? Well, I go back to the, that word we started with. You, you mm. mentioned care and I, I, I mentioned in response empathy, right? Mm. I, I think um, that there's, there's an old um, saying around the difference between intention and, and impact. That is, you know, my intentions... Uh, I often will measure my impact in the world based on my intentions, right, the things that I think and believe. That's how I view my, my impact. But, of course, my impact is measured by how you listen to these words, Graham, and how you respond to what I'm saying. And your interpretation of uh, how I come across is very different, um, can be very different to the intentions that I have. And if you... If you just unpack that thought for a moment, if you realise then that we all 
in communication are trying to align our intent with our impact, right? We really want to make sure I have, I want to bring together a group of people around this idea of a corporate mental health alliance. That's wonderful. How do you do that, right? How do you make sure that your words and your actions then align with that intent so that the impact that it's experienced is, is exactly as you'd like it to be? And so, you know, back to the, the question of, you know, how, how do you, you know, how, how do you bring people together and how do you then um, help have uh, the intended impact? You've got to be thoughtful and then I think open to that closed loop feedback and, and empathy, you know, the ability um, as poorly uh, as I um, am able to demonstrate or to utilise empathy on any given day, as much as I try to, I know there are gaps, but I try harder because I think the more that I can put myself in your shoes and understand, you know, how you might be experiencing and listening and, and receiving this message, the more likely I am to then be able to ensure that there is alignment between what I'm, my intention and, and how you're receiving it. And so, you know, empathy, I think, is um, an often used word and, and expression, but it's so vital, I think, as a leader in any at any time, but perhaps more important now, uh, because if I come back to the pandemic, just for a last thought here, Graham, there's such a Genevieve Bell um, said this so well at the beginning of the uh, of the pandemic. A, a professor at um, ANU, when you, she said that she observed you can't totalize this moment. You know the experiences that everyone is having. And this is back in I don't know, April or May of last year, and I remember reflecting at the time, thinking how insightful that that simple observation was. Because um, over the last eighteen months, I've seen time and time again how individually challenging this moment is, whether whether people are living at home and are now in lockdown and feeling further isolated, whether parents are at home trying to homeschool kids, mm. um, whether whether um, people in our teams might have ageing parents um, and all that that entails. And I'm, I'm one of them at the moment, grappling with uh, a mother who has um, severely progressed dementia and, and has recently suffered a, a health event that's made that even more complicated. So the point being... There's so many things going on for every single person that we're engaging with and the extent to which you can't connect with every person at that deep personal level, of course, but the extent to which you can start from the observation that I, I don't understand what's going on in that person's life at the moment and as a result, I'm not sure how exactly I'm going to come across to them. Yeah. So, you know, less haste, you know, and more sort of <laughs> engaging with people, connecting Yeah. That's that's the way in which you start to communicate, I think, more effectively. Yeah, and I love, um, in fact, I, I, I did uh, seven keynote webinars on Thursday and Friday last week around uh, Are You OK 365 about this oh. concept of really embedding it in the culture. And I started off um, each one by the quote, you know, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle you know nothing about. And I think it's very, very true. We've all been affected in different ways by the pandemic. You know, we've had people that, the you know, parents that are homeschooling, which I just can't imagine. My, my kids are older now and I don't have that issue. But also, you know, there's been weddings that have to be postponed. There's been funerals that uh, have had to be in just 10 people when it's been in, in full lockdown. And so everyone has had uh, just a extraordinary time and, and just trying to understand what that is is really important. One of the things I do in my webinars is ask people to nominate what's what's been most stressful about it, and uh, it has been the uncertainty. That's nominated every single time as the, as the leading 
element. And how how do you help people in Microsoft to come to terms with the uncertainty? I'm going to answer that question, but I might ask you one just um, before I do, if that's okay. Sure, no worries. How, how do you then? How do you then connect? Given you've just talked about that same thought around each person having such an individual experience, and you were talking about you know kicking off those um, other uh, webinars. So, how do you create that bridge with with any with a person or with an audience as you keep that thought in mind that each person has got such a very different set of experiences, and right now has a very different set of reactions to the moment we find ourselves in. Well, as uh, you know, last Thursday was Are You OK Day and Friday was uh, World Suicide Prevention Day. And I have my own lived experience of really battling with uh, depression and going through a very, very difficult period where I was unemployed. And um, on July 24, 2004, I wrote this note to my family My dear family, after four long years of battling this illness, I just can't take it anymore. I feel I have tried everything and just can't see anything but a depressed future. I'd like to thank everyone for the loving care you've shown me. I couldn't ask for anything more. Please don't blame yourself in any possible way for this, as there is nothing possibly you could have done. Love always, Graham. P.S. I just can't be a burden any longer. No, I don't, or I, I very rarely use that, but I just thought it was really, really relevant. And the reason it was relevant was that, um, you know, I know what it's like to feel that there is no hope. You're 110% sure you won't recover it, but I have a, a really, you know, really good and meaningful life now. And that's why I'm so passionate about Are You Okay? Because I know what leads people to contemplate suicide. But I also know that, um, you know, you just got to get through it, you know, and you can get through it if you have the right support and the right expert guidance. So, um, and I've, I've come to understand that um, my story is really important. Oh. So that's that's how I did it last week. That's awesome. What a... What a um act of generosity to share that story as you as you did last week and again here, Graham, because that's that is at the heart of human connection, isn't it? It's showing a little bit of vulnerability, um, um, a lot of vulnerability, uh, and acknowledging that things aren't perfect. Um, and yet, as you say, um, oftentimes, uh, certainly when when we get to the topic of suicide, people contemplate permanent solutions to what um, turn out to have been temporary problems. And I don't, I don't use that term to diminish the sense of despair or concern that you might have been experiencing or, for that matter, the many people who find themselves in a similar place. Um, but um, but it's proven to be the case, hasn't it, over so many years? And obviously in your case that um, it was a, it was a time that, that you needed to endure to get through, to get to the other side. Yeah, and, you know, when I met uh, Gavin Larkin, the founder of Are You OK, back in 2009, I just really resonated with it because I knew that, um, you know, having the support of those around you was a really, really important element. And I I remember about two weeks after that suicide attempt, I was in the kitchen with my mother feeling very sorry for myself, saying, why me, why me, why me? And uh, she fixed me with one of those real 
mother stares <laughs> and said, I believe you'll use this experience to help other people. And to be honest, um, I thought that was crazy at the time, but it did really sow a seed. And, uh, you know, I, I did start to come out of it and write several books in the Back from the Brink range. And, um, and yeah, you know, it, it, it is just... You were talking before about the purpose of the Corporate Mental Health Alliance and the same with Are You OK, whose purpose is a conversation could change a life. And um, it's a brilliant tagline because everyone can relate to it. Totally. My, as a quick aside, my um, wife works for Lifelong. And uh, there are three steps that they, um, they, they talk about, um, helpless, hopeless and alone. Yeah. Those, where those conditions exist, all three at the same time, that can often lead to, to crisis. And, and so it just connects, again, very directly with that idea of a conversation changing a life or connection between uh, each of us and the power of storytelling and how a little bit of vulnerability can break down some of the barriers that might otherwise exist so that we can actually have a real conversation. Mm. And so, um, again, good on you for, um, for your role modelling and how you are um, sharing your story to help others. Yeah, thank you. Earlier this year, I lost my father. Uh, he was 91. He had a good life, but it was a big, big shock. And um, not a big shock. It wasn't a shock, but it was just quite profound, you know, having someone in your life who was no longer there. And I know you lost your father. Was it last year? It was actually a few years ago. It was um, uh, 2016. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, a big moment in, in my life. Uh, mm. uh, as I look back, as um, yeah. And what... Um, what do you think were some of the key lessons you learned from your father? Um, a couple. Um, one, and, and you know, this is my dark sense of humour coming out, Graham. But um, uh, in in um, dad's, without um, going into all the gory details, dad suffered from cancer, and, and it was a two year process where um, he was in a slow decline. As sad as as sad as that is to say, that was the that was the sort of path that he, he followed. Uh, and I remember at one stage during. Um, uh, that that period, probably about halfway through, he um, made a request to you know myself and and uh, my two brothers that you know, he wanted to to die at home um, to establish palliative care and for us to organise that for him at home. And um, at the time, uh, like any dutiful son, I, I think you're like right on, Dad. I'll um, you bet we'll do that. Not having any clue whatsoever what we could agree to do, and so um, that set off a chain of events that. Um, uh, created a range of tensions and pressures and issues in 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 um, uh, you know our lives as a family you know my brothers and my and and, and mine uh, and and I reflect on that because um, I, I learned a lot from that period about the first lesson about um, you know you know again learning because I could have I could have and perhaps should have asked around to find out a little bit more about what I was committing us to and exactly how that would play out. Um, there are lots of people around who are very happy to help because guess what? We've all got parents and many of us have been through this before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, sharing and, you know, just actually reaching out to other people. Um, I also learned, and, and I've shared this in other um, conversations, Graham, I'm, something I'm not proud of, but there was a very selfish reaction that I had at that time. Um, I, I had been at Microsoft, actually, I'd just joined a couple of years earlier. I was trying to, you know, uh, play my role at work. Um, and I think this is a something that many people can relate to. You've got that sense of duty or, or um, sense of responsibility that you've got to show up and be 
play your role in a, in a work environment and try to pretend that you're not an emotional being or a son or a father or all the other roles that you play at the same time. Um, and and I, my selfish reaction was I, I almost begrudged in the end the demands that I, you know, I was under because I had work demands, I had family demands, I, I you know, wife and three kids. Uh, and then, you know, I'm trying to provide 24 by 7 care with my brothers to my father in, you know, in, in an apartment in Valgawa. So, um, and quite obviously, you know, I wasn't doing it all and I was doing it badly, um, falling behind, feeling under pressure and then, um, you know, uh, begrudging that situation I was in. So this sort of selfish reaction that I'm, I'm not proud of, but I, I absolutely remember and it still stings me today to think back on that time. Um, more positively, you know, Dad, Dad taught me everything about how to be, um, uh, you know, a, 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 a man, a husband, a son. Um, I owe him everything that I have. And so that sense of duty was, you know, very strong and, and rightfully so. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've now, I think, reached a point where I can put a few of the lessons in perspective and, you know, acknowledge my own um, failings, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, reflect on what a wonderful father he was in so many ways and, and um, how much I've learned as a result of the experience that I hope in some way, Graham, I can share with my children because I, um, I know I won't be asking that same question to my kids. <laughs> if you believe like we do that a leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team, who enjoys growing together, you may be interested in these three free resources we've provided at our website, factorc.com.au. The first one is the We Care Credo poster, and this contains the mindset and values of teams that prize self-care, crew care, and red zone care. The second resource is a poster called How to Support a Teammate in Distress. And this provides easy to follow instructions on how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are You OK conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help that they need. And the third resource is a Building a Mentally Healthy Culture checklist. And this provides items to think about before you launch an initiative, how you do a great launch, and then thirdly, how to keep the momentum going following the launch. These three free resources can be found at factorc.com.au. Yeah, one of the things that I did, which um, worked really well, as us had the, I guess, the privilege of delivering the eulogy and... So I reached out to 35 people that knew Dad best, both in his personal life and um, and and work, and asked them to put three words together and I formed a, a word cloud. Right. And the the biggest messages there were, you know, generosity, you know, care, uh, cheeky, and it, it really formed, I guess, the great framework for um, you know for the message. And you know, it is wonderful to think. And I've got, you know, a picture of him up here right beside me now. Just the, um, the just, just I guess, to be very grateful of having a great yeah. father like it sounds like you'd, you'd as well because as I've learned and I'm sure you have, there's many that don't have that. And yes. um, it's, uh, it's obviously much more challenging. When it comes to self-care, what sort of things do you do to keep your own fuel tank full? Uh, I, um, I think I... I Years and years ago, I realised, and perhaps this, this is a lesson from my mother, actually, 
uh, about the importance of physical health and just you know physical activity. So I um, have always, uh, from a self care point of view, been focused on on whether it's physical activity, exercise, sport, you know, um, having fun outdoors. Um, and so I, I still do that today. And um, I find it's a, it's a massive boost um, and relief, both physically because you, you, you feel, um, you know, after you've been for a run or go to the gym or go for a paddle, you feel the, the, um, the sense of exertion, but, but it's a positive sense. Um, but also the, uh, I think later on in my life, I've come to realise the connection between the mind and the body and the very, very direct benefits it has from a mental point of view as well because I can go for a run or go for a, a paddle and come back and be much clearer. And I, I, can, I can, the difference is so stark in terms of my ability to focus, um, my ability to, to be creative, to come up with um, answers to problems that I might be grappling with. Um, and and just to be more um, balanced, I think, ready to deal with whatever comes along in the day. Um, when I'm not not doing that, when I'm not exercising, I'm not paying attention to those things, and not being focused on that, you know, mental clarity and and creating a space. Um, I get short tempered, I'm grumpy, um, uh, and don't think as clearly. And aren't as creative, and so. It's um, great to realise that now. I wish I'd realised that about 30 years ago. <laughs> Better late than never, eh? Better late than never. Yeah. I've heard you nominate uh, Buddha in Blue Jeans as yeah. a really important book that you've read. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and why it really resonated with you? Mm. It's, a, it's an awesome book and I've read several variations of, of, of a theme on, on Buddhism and uh why, why is it why does it resonate so much with me and why that book it, it's because as I became interested in this this um, intersection between physical health and mental health uh, I, I also became uh, aware then of the connection with um, the spiritual side and and that, for, that can be religion it can be a simple belief in um, uh, in, in something bigger than yourself uh, or whatever definition that you might use for um uh, that third aspect of, of spiritual health. Uh, and as I started to explore that or get interested in that, I read, read as many books as I could find, but um, the principles of Buddhism I've, I've, I resonate with um, very much because obviously over thousands of years they've proven to be, um, <laughs> they've proven their worth. And um, I won't suggest for a moment that I'm an adherent to Buddhist principles, but the idea that um, life is, is, is um, much about suffering and it, it is about pain that you experience through your life but that uh, that suffering comes about as a consequence of craving for other things always looking for that next um, uh, positive hit whether it's physical or, or, or mental you know the, the idea of craving for something else always looking for the next thing it didn't take me too long to realise that, yes, that, that could be at the heart of why we experience pain and the idea that uh, pain is a natural part of life. We all, we all experience it. We've just talked about our, our, you know, our fathers. Uh, we, we're born, we live, and we die, and that's the natural part of That's the natural way of things. But the idea that uh, much of the suffering that we experience on a day-to-day, you know, our, our disappointment that we didn't get that promotion or... Uh, the disappointment that someone didn't return our phone call or I'm engaging in a negotiation with a client, the client doesn't see it exactly the same way that I do. 
those moments of suffering, as small as those examples might be, uh, all the way up to very big moments of suffering, um, in many cases, I think, if not in every case, can be can be drawn back to um, our desire for something else mm. and lack of appreciation for the moment that we have right now. And so, you know, you and I are having this wonderful conversation. This is the only thing that matters right now, Graham, mm. because we're here today, right now, having looking at each other through um, and, and obviously um, recording this podcast. That's the moment that we're in, and the appreciation of that moment and the fact that we have that moment and we're lucky to have it. You know, we're lucky to have had our fathers. We're lucky to have had the upbringing we've had. We're lucky for so many things. Mm-hmm. That changes the mindset that you might have then in terms of how you address the challenges that come along. And so this third, the third thought after, you know, um, life is about suffering uh, and that suffering comes from craving is then the uh, idea of developing then more awareness. Mm-hmm. And this is where being mindful and, and focusing on um, the moment we're in, breathing, Right, I mean, and as simple as that sounds, when I first first came across this, I thought, how how odd is it that someone's going to talk about the importance of breathing? Of course, we all breathe. <laughs> we don't. But most majority of us don't breathe well. And mm. what does that mean? It means we don't breathe deeply, and we don't use that breath to center us, to acknowledge the moment we're in, to be thankful for who we are, where we are, and to then um, choose to use that to create a. a, a a sense of equanimity that can then allow us to deal with the next moment, which may not be that positive. It might, it might be a good one, might be a bad one. Mm-hmm. Either way, we're going to deal with it. And then that moment will pass and the next one will be with us. Um, and so I, that's where my investigation, exploration into Buddhism stops because I haven't then gone on to the eight steps of enlightenment. Maybe later in my career I'll have time to go further there. <laughs> um, but, it, but it, yeah, it's. I think I've learned so much from thinking about those those topics and um, glitter and blue jeans, I'd recommend it to anyone. And uh, the concept of mindfulness, you know, everyone can understand the benefit of it, but it's quite hard to actually do, isn't it? And do you have any practices in place which help you to, you know, just be centred during the day? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a poor practitioner, I'll, I'll acknowledge, um, but, I, but I have, have um, learned the power of slowing down and and breathing and and as, again as odd as that someone listening to this will be saying how weird does that sound but if I if I have a performance moment a simple example Graham where I'm uh, presenting I might be chairing a meeting of the alliance mm. and I obviously want to make sure I come across well and that we have a positive um, discussion before the meeting starts or even as the meeting is starting I'm Centering myself, I'm consciously thinking about slowing my pulse down. I'm consciously thinking about my breath as I am right now talking to you. And I'm consciously thinking about where I want to direct my attention. Um, And as easy as that sounds, it is very hard to do. Um, But if you practice, you can get to a point, and as I said, I'm imperfect at it, but you can get to a point where the argument that you might have just had with your spouse or the argument you might have just had with your child about studying for um, an exam. I'm just picking a couple of recent examples for me. Or the um, the fact that you used the last of the milk as you came up to sit down for this meeting. Um, some of the things happened this morning. Graham, I'll let you work. <laughs> um, you can put those to the side and you can centre yourself on I'm, I'm now talking with a group of people who aren't aware of any of that and really don't want to be aware of any of that. 
and I don't want it to impact how I come across. So, you know, back to that, we talk about intent and impact. My intent in my conversation is to be fully present with you today, Graham, because I'd like to like to have this wonderful discussion and this great exchange. But I can't do that if I'm thinking about the, the milk that I just um, I just use or the argument or the next thing that's coming up, the next meeting. So mm. I think it's practice. I find most things in my life um, I've just practised and whatever I've, you know, whatever skills I've built, good, bad or indifferent, um, are, are, are the consequence of good, bad or indifferent practice, I think. Yeah. And is meditation part of that as well, regular meditation or, or not really? It, I mean, it has been, but I'm, I, 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 won't, I won't suggest that I'm a regular or a, um, uh, you know, a, a great meditator. I mean, those, those that are will talk about, um, you know, their practice and, you know, every day and multiple times a day they'll engage in a meditative state and um, that's not me. I've, I've, and this is where I fall down. I often um, find other other excuses, other reasons not to make that time. But, but then I've also developed the capability uh, or the, um, uh, the, you know, the, the ability when I when I'm exercising. I find this is almost meditation for me when I'm paddling or I'm running or I'm, I'm in the gym. Um, there's a sense of calm that I have either cultivated or that I pursue at a mental level. Uh, I really love being um, being active, and 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 that's um, a privilege, right? During any day, to have that time to go and uh, to do something that I personally love doing, and whether it is a run or a, or a paddle or a swim or going sailing or take your pick, uh, taking the dogs for a walk, th- there's this sense of connection with um, something that I really love, and I. It's almost like a meditation for me because I, I will come back from whatever that is and I will absolutely feel uh, mentally refreshed. So so I think identifying that, finding out what has worked for me, because I, I used to I used to have a routine where I would try to get up every day and meditate and, and it wasn't working for me, Grant. And so I've had to find other ways that um, fit with the, my lifestyle but also um, give me, you know, um, the most efficient way of achieving um, at least a semblance of balance and calm that I hope to exude on any given day. Yeah, that's a great, great insight. Really um, is. I, I just, I guess, to segue back to the company again, um, I saw on the Great Places to Work website that 93% of Microsoft employees uh, believe it's a great place to work. How did you go about Achieving that, that's, that's a, a pretty remarkable result because, by contrast, the average is 55% of uh, employees believe it's a great place to work. That's a big difference. What do you think contributes to that, that big difference in school? Uh, look, I think um, first first thought, of course, is we're, we're, we're a privileged space, Grant. I mean, a, a, a wonderful tech company <clears throat> at this time in particular. I mean, we... Privilege is, is piled on top of privilege, right? We're, work has always been a thing that we do, not a place that we go, and the ability to work through lockdown for the vast majority of our team is was something that we, you know, uh, were doing before the pandemic. And so I think there's a deep acknowledgement of that in the company, and I know that's part of why people think it's a great place to work because we have very flexible work practices that uh, we are um, able to offer because of the position we're in. Uh, many companies are not, right? And so... I don't for a moment uh, underestimate, um, you know, the, the fortune that we have as a result of what we do and who we are. 
Second thought would be, um, this is where leadership really matters. Satya Nadella, our CEO, um, to the extent you've read or heard anything of, of, of Satya, uh, is at the heart of uh, what Microsoft is all about today or, or the company that we have evolved to become and are still you know, uh, evolving uh, as we look forward. But, um, but at, he, at the heart of Satya uh, and his story, he's an Indian immigrant who became the CEO of, of Microsoft, now the second largest company on the planet, and, and famously will, will be remembered as the person that um, more than anyone else um, helped to reposition the company, given where we were going back to 2014 when he was appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he, he has created an environment for us all where we talk openly about connecting our personal passion with the platform that is Microsoft. Mm. Um, you know, our mission to you know uh, empower every organization and every person on the planet to achieve more is a beautiful collection of words, but what does it mean? It means that if I am passionate about mental health, then um, as as you know, I talked to him about this three years ago when he was out here, and I was talking to him about the alliance. And I'm like, well, Sachin, I'm going to use the company's resources, I'm going to use my time, I'm going to you know bring together some clients. There's no direct payback for Microsoft out of this. Are you okay for me to do it? He looked looked at me and said, "Well, why are you asking? Of course, go." Do it. <laughs> and, and so that's one example. But every person in the company, and this is my role here locally, is encouraged to do the same. What's what's your personal passion? What what do you what's important to you? Mm. Uh, and it's really you know I want to be a better salesperson or uh, I want to hit my quota. As important as that is, right? Mm. That's really the thing that really gets um, any individual out of bed in the morning. It's usually something else, something that's not really directly connected with, um, you know, their, their formal role. It might be, but mm. in many cases it might be something else. They, you know, they want to contribute to mental health or they want to contribute to helping people get jobs in the industry or education or healthcare or, you know, 53,000 other things. And so my job here is to make sure that we, we afford that opportunity to every person and, and I know, again, that would be part of the reason why 93% of the team suggests that it's a great place to work because that's not surprisingly, you know, growing for, for, for all of us. That's what we, mm. what we care about. We, you know, what are the things that, that really matter? And if I can bring that to work and I can talk openly about it and the company is going to support me to pursue it in a meaningful way, that's pretty awesome. And we're not the only ones that, that, that offer that opportunity, I know, but I, I, but I equally know it's a big reason why people love working at Microsoft, certainly why I love being here. Yeah, I, I've seen his uh, speech when he first became CEO and it was very powerful because he talked about two of his kids having learning difficulties oh, and, right. and, and tapping into, you know, the, the, the assets of technology and artificial intelligence to help improve it. And, uh, you know, obviously now has become core to the DNA of the organisation. And uh, it's uh, it's a very, very interesting story because, you know, he wasn't brought in from the outside to, you know, really turn around the company. He'd been a long-term, very successful employer. I think his previous role was in charge of the cloud division. But why, how, <laughs> how do you think he was able to, Affect this huge change, even though he'd been in the company the, 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 a long time. I think he's, he's, he, he's um, you might expect me to say this, but it genuinely meant that he's perhaps the best role model of all of the things we've just been talking about. Mm. Talked earlier about vulnerability, right? Sharing what's going on in your life so so that and, 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 and in order to better connect with those around you. 
Um, it's quite extraordinary, right? In the early days of his um, tenure as CEO, he wrote a book, um, hit refresh, that went out to all of the employees across the company and is obviously available publicly, where he declared some very, very personal aspects, including, um, you know, what you've just shared here too, his children with um, severe learning um, challenges. And, you know, guess what? He's role modelling what it means to connect personal passion with the platform because he said, he said, you know what? Technology is doing so many wonderful things. Why don't we help direct it to do a better job of allowing those with a short or long-term disability to better connect in the world around them? You bet. And, you know, for the, for the one in five Australians, um, Graham, and, and, and obviously the same statistic around the world, that, there are hundreds of millions of people that, um, that um, could um, better connect with the world around them if technology was more usable and was more directed at those with a vision impairment or a learning impairment or a sight um, impairment. And so role modelling that, I think, has opened everyone's eyes to, well, okay, if the boss thinks that's is, 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 is he's going to do that, then um, and he's encouraging us to do the same, then we should, we should follow his lead. The other thought that um, uh, I should mention is that early on he also shared he's a prolific reader and um, he shared a book that he read called Mindset by Carol Dweck um, he's going back many years now um, and Carol Dweck um, very famous for her work um, growth mindset fixed mindset and the other theme that he popularized alongside the idea of empathy truly connecting with the the customers and the partners in the market the world you want to serve demonstrate more empathy develop empathy so that you can truly understand what the customers are looking for. I think that's one thing. The second thing is then the importance of a growth mindset, which is, you know, if you if if you feel like you're, um, you know, you, you have uh, a complete understanding of of uh, all of the issues at play, then you, you're clearly on the wrong track. We should aspire to be learn-it-alls, not not know-it-alls. And again, it's a pithy statement, but what does it mean? It means uh, a little bit of humility goes a long way. Uh, a little bit of acknowledgement that we can't ever truly understand what the other person is experiencing. We can try by being empathetic, um, but the best way is, of course, to use our ears and, and mouth in proportion. Uh, stop telling and start listening. And you know, these are these are again easy things to say, but when when you role model it so effectively, um, it is amazing the impact that one person has had and continues to have on 150,000 employees all around the globe. Yeah, it is remarkable. And one thing that struck me in the book, uh, Hit Refresh, which I really, really enjoyed, was he his statement that it's it's a leader's job to find stuff going right when you're going through transformation because it's easy to look about things that are going wrong, but to find things going right. Is that something you try to adopt as well? Absolutely try to. <laughs> I have to acknowledge, uh, uh, you know, another deficit or um, uh, area for improvement uh, for, for me. My, my professional life ground, I think I'm not unlike many others, is all about trying to close gaps, right? I mean, as a professional manager, I've always worked in large companies, you know, you run a business and you're perpetually focused on the things that aren't where they need to be and how you're going to close that gap. And that's how it should be, right? To get the best performance, you want to focus on the things that aren't working, try to drive them uh, to closure. Uh, and yet, um, if that's your mindset and if you're unconscious that that's your mindset, then guess where you tend to, what you what you talk about, what you um, focus on, how you, commu- you communicate with your team, back mm-hmm. to intention and impact. Your intention is I want this business to be really successful. 
but the impact is uh, Stephen's just talking about the things that aren't working again and he's talking about how the gaps and all the things we aren't doing well just yet. So, so I think it's um, absolutely vital and Satya is spot on as, as, uh, as usual and it's something I'm continuing to work on. <laughs> <laughs> as we all are. Can you think of a time when you've asked someone, are you okay, and it made a real difference? Um, I've, I've asked the question a lot and um, over, over the years and, of course, last week uh, for Are You OK Day, where it's made a, a big difference. I, look, I remember a, a situation years ago with a mate of mine where um, it's funny thing about um, maybe Australian males, Graham, and I'm, I'm not going to give a um, psychological assessment of the Australian um, <laughs> population here, but there is this thing about, you know, we don't, like to share, I'm generalising here and I'm sure there'll be many people who'll disagree with me, which is cool. But I, 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 on balance, I'd suggest uh, my experience at any rate is um, we Australian males typically generally won't share a lot of um, emotional um, content. Uh, it's more about um, getting together, sharing some stories, a few laughs and perhaps enjoying an activity together, whether that's, you know, um, uh, sporting or other. Uh, and I remember a, a situation a few years ago where um, I just just paused for a moment to actually really ask a mate if he was okay and was surprised to discover that he really wasn't. And that led to a really um, interesting and positive conversation that um, reaffirmed for me the important role that, you know, that I had to play at that moment um, and also opened my eyes to the thought, I wonder how many of those moments I've missed with other mates. Mm. Um, so... So, you know, I think for all the reasons we've been through, pausing, this is back to mindfulness in a way, isn't it? Because mm. the triggers are often there or the signals are often there. Mm. Uh, it's just that we don't see them because we're too wound up in what's going on in our heads and our lives that we don't stop for a moment, we don't role model what empathy really means, which is put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm. Listen to what they're saying because they're giving you the triggers. Um, and then pick up on them and ask a couple of questions. Mm. And can you recall time when you've been asked, are you okay? And it was really appreciated and really, really helped. Yeah, just last week, actually. Um, uh, I think I've, I've learned that, that um, sh- sharing, sharing a bit more of what's going on in my personal life is um, valuable to create connection. And, and, and um, I mentioned earlier my mother had, had a recent health event, which was just last week, actually. Uh, and so I was out of action for a, for a, a little while, and the team. I missed a few meetings with the team, and I was. We had a team meeting earlier this week, and I shared that with the team what had happened. And um, I've had several of the team actually um, independently now uh, ask me, "Am I okay? How how am I going?" Which mm. um, I guess in a way re- uh, has been much appreciated, but also reinforces. Um, you know uh, the importance of stopping and, and connecting with each each team member because again, how often I, I reflect when, when uh, a personal uh, sharing has occurred in a team meeting from someone else, have I really stopped? And then have I followed up afterwards, a day later, a week later, whatever, to ask that person if they're okay? I'd like to think that I have, but I'm but. I- but I'm imperfect, and and so it it, it um, caused me to reflect on you know uh, making sure that I uh, look out for my team as much as they're looking out for me. Yeah, 
It's been an absolute fantastic discussion, Steve. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Just a couple more questions. Five years from now, how will we know if the Corporate Mental Health Alliance has been successful? I think we'll know it's been successful if the conversation that we're having is going beyond the observation of the issue and the and the massive impact that poor mental health is having in the workplace to a normalised conversation where it is as regular to talk about someone going to work and coming home from work safely. Uh, we've talked about physical safety ground for decades, right? Yeah. It's just an absurd no one would question that going to work and coming home from work is a good thing for a workplace to help ensure all that. If someone had a broken arm or a broken leg and turned up to work tomorrow, you might ask them, oh, wow, what did you do? How did you do that? Uh, that it is as, as normal as that conversation as it is in terms of their psychological safety and that every business leader, um, and maybe we won't get there in five years, but I'd like to think most business leaders, certainly um, uh, our largest organisations across the country, um, are, are more... Um, uh, proficient in the topic and uh, leading an effort that is more substantive than what we see across the board today. As much progress as we know is being made, uh, this is a, a massive issue. The Productivity Commission will tell us from a productivity point of view how big it is. Lawyers will tell us the liabilities that leaders have if they don't get this right. Uh, and so I'd, I'd love to think in five years' time that we have normalised the conversation and that um, work, workplace mental health, psychological safety, psychosocial um, um, health uh, is a topic and a, a conversation that is as regular as, yes, how are you feeling today and how, did you get over that cold or is that broken arm healing? Yeah. And if you had the opportunity to go back, uh, knowing what you know now, go back to your 18-year-old self and just give some guidance or tips, what, what would that be? Yeah, look, I, we talked a little bit about my father. My achievement um, uh, index is um, perhaps um, my competitive streak and my achievement index is um, on the sort of the upper end of the range, I think, if I think back over both my sporting and uh, career exploits. And I think my advice to my 18-year-old self would be to be less focused on um, climbing up that ladder and more focused on um, the skills and experiences that I'm having along the way. What great advice. Thanks so much, Steve. It's been a wonderful chat. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you've learned something new and heard some practical tips you can try with your team. If you enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast platform. When you rate us, it helps other people to find us. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing details about our scalable We Care Mental Health training programs, please visit us at factorc.com.au. Our goal for these programs is to make them accessible, practical, and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a CEO that you would like us to interview, please email details to support at factorc.com.au. Thanks for joining us.